Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. As we look now, God's time clock of grace is up for the Canaanites and judgment is falling fast and furious through the Israelite army and their swords as it will one day be in the not too uh, distant future in this world. More and more signs, earthquakes and natural disasters and countries falling apart. The Lord said these are the signs to be watching for before his return. While people are saying peace and safety, everything's cool. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so we are looking at the conquest as a prophetic picture of those dark days called the Great Tribulation. Um, The conquest really is speaking of a few things. Our sanctification, uh, our taking possession of all of our blessings as they take possession of their, their inheritance God gave them. Also, our victory over our enemies. There will be no enemies that can stand against God's people. Neither is there a spiritual enemy that can stand against you because of your union with Jesus Christ. And also the ultimate destruction of all evil people at the end of the world. And this is, of course, what I've been talking about. So these wicked societies, these evil kings, this vile culture one by one in a seven-year process, which is interesting because the Great Tribulation, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is a seven-year period. And so we see once again the uh, similarities here as God is painting a picture of the end of the world. The last seven years on this planet is called the Great Tribulation. Well, then there will be a thousand-year reign and rule, but it will be nothing like this uh, world that we live in now. So these uh, wicked Canaanites are being evicted from Canaan um, by the Israelites. The old tenants are being evicted and the new tenants are moving in. The new tenants name Israel, conquered by God. The old tenants name Canaan or low living or low life. That's exactly what it means. Now, morally speaking, Genesis chapter uh, 9, where the Lord is speaking to Noah, and Noah had just uh, had a misstep, and one of his sons uh, saw it happen and mocked him, and The Holy Spirit came upon Noah and said, Cursed be Canaan. Cursed be 
Canaan. This is 3,000 years before Christ comes, and that would make it about 1,500 years before tonight, Joshua 10. Curse the Canaan, Ham's descendants, because of their low living, because they would emulate their progenitor, Ham, who had no respect for his father's authority and no respect for God. And a prophetic word from Noah said, your progeny, your ancestors will be cursed. And who settled where Israel will occupy? Ham's descendants, the Canaanites, hence the name Canaan. And so they are laboring under a curse. God has worked with them for 400 years. Anybody who repents is saved. Even if they do so in a deceptive sort of way, God will work it out so that the Gibeonites will be saved. Or vile Rahab. You can turn from uh, Canaan anytime you want, up until your last dying breath. But uh, after that, came over. And so, context now to dive into uh, chapter 10. These battles, in these battles, Joshua and the soldiers, though God is doing all the hard work, he does expect us to cooperate with him, to walk with him, to trust him, and to do our part, right? And so they're doing their part in taking of this land, and they're learning lessons. And last week, they learned the lesson of um, making an ungodly alliance with the Gibeonites, who really deceived them into making a treaty with them. Moses had already told them through the Holy Spirit, do not partner with them, do not make a peace treaty. It will be to your demise to partner with these ungodly people. And when you make an unholy alliance, there's always a price to pay, always. And so he said, do not do that. But they got deceived. Joshua took out uh, a holy scroll and swore in the Lord's presence and in presence of the Lord's people, we will not annihilate you, Gibeonites. You are safe. And then uh, we're going to see now that when you do make an ungodly alliance, when you agree with the enemy, you will always end up paying a price. So let's pick up in the heat of the battle. That's where we are. Joshua 10, verse 1, 1 through 6. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he sees a pattern. And that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Wow. <laughs> A lot of kings from a lot of strange places. All in Canaan, all in Israel, future. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Yeshua and the Israelites. Then, the Joshua, of course, there in the text. Then the five kings of the Amorites, 
the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help! (laughs) All right. That's kind of in the Hebrew. You can't really see how it's spread out like that. Help us because all the Amorite kings, all of them, from the hill country have joined forces against us. So let's pause there. Roman numeral number one. Bad alliances create future problems. <laughs> All right. So it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, you hang with a bad crowd, you will be impacted negatively. Every time you think, oh, well, I'm going to be Christ in that relationship. Yeah, very nice. How ideal, how nice, how hopeful. Would that it would work once in a while. But usually the strong one is led downhill. And so bad alliances really do create problems. And so chapter 9, the treaty happened and they swore, we're going to, you're safe with us. We're going to keep our word to you. He sought the Lord. The Lord did not release them from that oath to their enemies. So really you shook on it. You entered into a prohibited partnership. You made the foolish purchase. You co-signed without thinking. Now, as the saying goes here in chapter 10, you made your bed. Now you must lie in it, which means in this case, life for Joshua will be unnecessarily complicated. And life for Israel is unnecessarily put in harm's way. Now listen to this. The Israelites had obligated themselves, as we said, to their enemies, the Gibeonites, who are Canaanites, because they live in Canaan. And now they must get this. This is interesting. The Israelites must defend their enemy, the Gibeonites, against the Gibeonites' former allies, their fellow Canaanites. Now, that's kind of interesting to me. Verse 1 says, The king of Jerusalem, the very first time you hear of Jerusalem named as Jerusalem in the Old Testament is right there in verse 1. Jerusalem will be a stickler. Uh, even though they will win the land in seven years, Jerusalem really is occupied by the Jebusites for another 500 years. Uh, it is King David who conquers the Jebusites in Jerusalem, and he renames it the city of David, Jerusalem. And so you'll see that uh, that is a long time in coming, even though they occupy most of Israel. There are little pockets there. Now, this Jewish king, this this, uh, king of Jerusalem, I should say, is seeing red about these defectors, the Gibeonites, and Uh, He hears that the Jewish army is advancing, and he's really mad about what happened. And so he's, by the way, he's a very interesting character. His name, Adonai, Adonai Zedek, means Lord of Righteousness. And guess who he prefigures? Here in Jerusalem, he is a big king who will gather all the other kings against those who have joined with Yeshua. Who do you think he prefigures? He prefigures, he is not certainly not the Lord of Righteousness. 
He is the false Lord of righteousness. He is the Antichrist. And so even here, we see a picture of the Antichrist, a king, who, who calls himself the Lord of Righteousness. That's his name. And he will call into battle the other kings and say, let's make a, an alliance together and let us fight against this Yeshua and anybody connected. Now, why the Gideonites? That's so interesting. Gibeon, verse 2, is a wealthy city. Uh, it's larger. Uh, why, why is he so upset? Well, they're strong warriors, your text says there in verse 2. The Gibeonites didn't come. Interesting. They're, they're famous for being what? Strong warriors. In fact, a strong warrior, their name is a play on that. Uh, it, I wrote it down here. Uh, Gibberim means strong fighter. And so they are called the strong fighters. So the king of Jerusalem is ticked. We lost some really good fighters, and now they have, quote, and here's the quote, let's attack them, quote, verse 4, because they made peace with this Yeshua. Oh, so now Canaanite leaves Canaanite kingdom to make peace with Yeshua, and now the old Canaanite family, no more friendly. No more very friendly with people who no more Canaanite. We don't want to worship anymore at the shrine prostitute's place. We don't want to worship the nature gods anymore. Uh, we're aligned with Yeshua and Yeshua's people, Israel, now. And so the kings align and say, we kill you. We're going to kill you now. See, uh, does anybody relate to this? Do I need to just keep on talking about this point? Raise your hand if you left the Canaanite culture, and it caused some relational conflict for you. Just raise your hand. Yeah. Now, now, some of you have not left the Canaanite culture yet, apparently, and that's okay, and I'm glad you're here, and I hope you make the transition soon. But once you do, let me just warn you. Oh, they're not very happy. Why are they not happy with Gibeon? You are a signal of our own demise. You are telling us uh, our lives are doomed. You're going over. You're joining them. You're strong fighters. You're from a royal city. You are another testimony to me that he is true and I am doomed. Therefore, we'd like to erase you from the scene because we're angry about this. You're going to make it harder for all of us. I was listening to Focus on the Family on the radio while driving in the car. There was a man who was spectacular testimony coming out of the gay lifestyle. And he said, I am hated by the gay community. I have death threats. Every month I get death threats from the gay community. Why? He left Canaan. He made peace with Yeshua and Yeshua's people. And now he is a living testimony. There is a God. You have a choice. Yeah, born that way or not, you choose who you align with. You can stay a Canaanite or you can become uh, linked to Yeshua and limp 
in the right direction is better than galloping full bore in the wrong direction. And so, you know, there's somebody here sitting here tonight, and I will not embarrass her. But when she became a Christian, she told her father, and her father was smashing furniture in the house. Why? Because she left Canaan. I have people who have told me in this very uh, sanctuary, um, Catholic family, kid gets saved, starts reading their Bible, they're ticked. You've left the Catholic Church. Mom, uh, you guys don't read your Bible. I'm reading my Bible every day. Uh, You guys don't pray. You say a lot of prayers and you, you do the bead things, but you guys aren't talking to Jesus like I'm talking to Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus. I don't really know what I'm saying much. I'm a brand new Christian, but I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and talking to God. And now I have Christian friends and that's all I do is center my life around Christ and you're ticked. You're ticked at me? There's Jesus' picture on the wall. I'm serving that person you never even talk about. How can you be angry at me? They turned. They made peace with Yeshua. And the kids don't like that. Jesus said, please don't get the wrong idea about me and peace. Matthew chapter 10. I didn't come down to bring peace to the earth. I came to bring a sword. From now on, about me, a family will be divided. A father against his son, a mother against uh, uh, her daughter. A sword of division in a household over who? Yeshua. One says, I'm going to take the treaty, and one says, I don't. And the ones who say, I don't, are mad at the ones who say, I do. That's just the way it is. So please stop expecting everybody to throw you a party when you make a treaty with Yeshua. Nobody's really happy. They'll say they're happy, but how many friends do you still have from those days? None, and there's a reason for that. Not really none, but you know. Now, am I saying that we just turn our backs and, and we hate people or we, we're like cooties? No. Uh, we, no. But I think you can get where I was going with all of that. And so, yeah, that's why they were mad. So spiritual application here is just, you know, so obvious. Um, Gibeonites send word to Joshua and say, you know, in essence, they're saying, (laughs) I love it, you're about to lose your tree-cutting, water-hauling service (laughs) for good. Um, Come and save your servants for the pagans have joined forces against us Please help. Verse 7. We're only going to make it down to 15. So, verse 7. So Joshua marched up, keeps his word, from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. At As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, 
the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jeshar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. All right, let's consider some insights that we can gather from these seven or so verses. If you're taking notes, number two, more than conquerors, number one was bad alliances create future problems. When I read that, the chorus that went through my mind was, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. More than conquerors is what Romans chapter 8 says that we are in Christ. Uh, When I'm more than a conqueror, even my mistakes, number one then, my mistakes will work for me. Even my mistakes. Now what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, I want you to see that Joshua is a real man of God. He doesn't feel released even though he made the oath to these Canaanites, former Canaanites anyway, they're coming out from them, but he made it in under uh, false pretenses and he's keeping his word. What a great opportunity for him to say, finally, a way that we can get rid of these guys. They deceived us and, uh, you know, now they're in trouble. We'll just let the, the swords of the five king coalition wipe them off the face of the earth. But no. He's not going to passively find a way to get out of his oath. I didn't do anything. I was going to keep the oath. It's the bad guys who destroyed him. I didn't destroy him. No, he says, we are men of God. We are people of integrity. We made an oath. We prayed about it. God hasn't released it, released us from it, rather, and we're going to keep it. And so I just want to point that out. And you know what? Here's what he's doing. Folks, he has learned from his mistakes. And when you learn from your mistakes, as I pointed out last time, and, and you own it, and you repent of it, and you give it over to God, and then today, from this day forward, you start to live in right relationship with God. You're walking with God. You, you've released it into the hands of the Lord. God will make that mistake work for you and your best interest. Uh, I mean, check this out, folks, about what he did here. Number one, the Jews are going to get help with the sanctuary, with great service from a whole host of people who are going to do all the hard work for them. And number two, who are going to be saved. The Gibeonites never cause any trouble, as I mentioned last week, and they will be altar workers in the house of God, and they will be honored They will hear the word of God. They will see the ministry. They will see the miracles. They will become people of Israel. 
Another blessing of how God can redeem a mistake like that. And now, because of the Gibeonites, five kings are leaving their fortified cities. They're coming out of their walled enclosures. And instead of having to deal with all five of them, one at a time, going to their cities and trying to get through their walls, God has drawn them out. Why? Because of the Gibeonites. All of them come out from their fortification and they are vulnerable and God is going to take them down as one time. All of this good from a bad thing in the past because Joshua can understand, you know what? God's grace is great. I can't go back and change the dumb things I have done in the past, but I can live today in right relationship with God, and God's nature is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's back here, goodness and mercy working behind me to make the absolute best out of every mess that I've ever made. God is trying to do his best, and his best is really good, (laughs) to fix what I have done and use it for his glory, for my good, for your good. Everybody is good. Now, Paul, the apostle said, preach like this. And then right after he preached like this to Rome, they said, okay, then I'm going to make a lot of mistakes Because the good of God will come around and come behind me and make everything wonderful. So I'm going to go out with the attitude that I can make my mistakes and trust God. Well, even my mistakes can't separate me from the love of God. And Paul says in Romans chapter 3, he says, And as we are slanderously reported as as saying, let us do evil that good may come. Those who say such things, Romans chapter 3, are condemned. And he says, justly. That is just evil thinking to think, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to intentionally go out and do something sinful and wicked and say, you know what? In the back of my mind, I already know God is going to use this for my good. God says, you know, pal, you got to wake up way earlier than that to pull this over on me. Listen, there's no way you're going to get away with that. God cannot be mocked. He cannot be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. So he says, don't even try to get that. Well, you know what? A lot of us have wasted time. We've missed opportunities. We have done terrible things. We have sinned. We have fallen short. One of the best scriptures I know is right here in the text where all this good is happening from a a mistake. You know what? Joel chapter 2, verse 25, And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. The Lord says, you can't fix it. I'll restore it. So he said, in your harvest... All of the the years that you couldn't harvest, I will make up. I will give you supernatural harvests that make up for all the years that you wasted. And uh, what a hope. Listen to that. God is going to restore to you 
as soon as you walk right with him. Just walk right with him. It's not hard. It's not that hard. You're making it harder than it needs to be. Just walk with him. It's very easy. And you will be surprised. King David's biggest, ugliest, nastiest mistake. Walking on a roof, lusting after a woman that didn't belong to him. Sending for her, finding out that she's a granddaughter of somebody he knows, a, a daughter of somebody he knows. And who cares? The wife of Uriah the Hittite, who's out serving him where he should be, and sleeps with her and impregnates her and kills her husband. And then he repents and he doesn't eat for a week. And Nathan comes and says, you know, you should die for this, but God's going to atone for your sin. You're not going to die, but you're going to have some problems here. He washes his face, he gets up, he eats something, he goes on. He says, I can't do a thing about what I just did, but I can walk with God now in uprightness of heart. That baby dies. But then Bathsheba gets pregnant again and has a boy named Solomon. Solomon gave you the Proverbs from Bathsheba's body. From that mistake came the Proverbs. From that mistake came King Solomon, who if you read Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1 of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, who comes through a Jewish womb, that Jewish womb is related by blood to Bathsheba. Bathsheba is in the list, the wife of Uriah, Matthew chapter 1. She is blood. She shouldn't have even been in the scene. But look what God can do. Look what God can do. And if God can bring Jesus Christ through Bathsheba's uh, genealogy, what can he do for the dumb stuff you've done? He could do a lot of good. Stop thinking your life is ruined. David's life should have been over. And the Gibeonites was a big scene. God has other plans. And so when you're more than a conqueror, even your mistakes are, are working for you. The spiritual application, these victories, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord or, and now I add, or anybody who's joined to the Lord. Come on. That's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30. Uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, who, do the, who do people say I am? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, revelation from God the Father, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, he's saying, you, you're God in the flesh. And the Lord says, upon that confession... That I am the Lord. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the spiritual application here. Is this that God is going forth in us and he is the conqueror. I love what Warren Wearsby has said about this. A conqueror is one who leaves the battle victorious. A more than conqueror is the one who knows he's already won before he's entered the battle. Now, you, you have in your verse there, he says, look, stop being afraid. It's a done deal. It's already done. 
He says that there in your text. Do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Past tense, it's over. Just walk it out. And that is why you can have so much confidence in your Christian life because the devil is a defeated foe. He says, look, if you've got a besetting sin, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a done deal. I've given you power over that thing that's, that's nagging you and stopping you from living the Christian life. It's a done deal. If you cooperate with me, that thing is dead. It's over. And the world, he says, all of these things, you are more than a conqueror because he says, I have already defeated it. I've already, listen, live up to this. I have already seated you in heavenly places. I already know where you're going to sit around the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. E.D. already done, already seen you there. You are there in my mind. You have been seated in heaven in my mind. I see you as complete there. Maybe that is why God can lavish so much love on us. Because he sees us not as our broken crippled, sinful, de- depraved selves. He sees us as shining in glory in our new bodies, perfected in him, serving and reigning and ruling with him in the millennial kingdom. He knows who that person is. And he says, I've already seated you. You're already glorified, E.D. I already did it. It's done. Just walk it out. That's the truth right there. When he tells Joshua, Joshua's like, uh, did you hear? Five kings. They're five kings, not just one. They're all five kings. He says, kid, it's done. I've already, it's over. What confidence to go into a battle where God Almighty tells you, look, I've already rigged it. I've already, I've destined it. You win. So uh, should you be, uh, you should be singing a little song up the hill. You know, as you're going to these five kings, sing a song about five kings going down. Because they are. He already told them, stop being afraid. It's a done deal. I want to close tonight and maybe, let me see. Close with a little bit more. (laughs) With a story that I tell once a year. It's the Dundeal story, how to face a big battle with confidence because God's already told you it's a Dundeal. How many of you have not heard the story about me and an angel that God had sent to encourage me? How many of you not? You've never heard the angel story. Look around, Barbara. <laughs> just, just look around. And tonight I will have fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. Thank you. One more time. You've never heard the angel story. Raise your hand nice and high. No, look behind you, too. No, I want you to get the full thing. There was a little conversation that happened as we were getting ready for the evening tonight. And I just casually asked, I'm going to tell the Dundeal story. I don't think, I, I think it's been a while since I've told the story. And she said, well, you can probably figure out what she said. <laughs> all right. All right. The point of the story is Joshua is facing a big deal. And God says, kid, face the big deal. It's already a done deal. You're going to win. Now, here's the story, the most supernatural thing that has ever happened to me. And uh, I have trouble believing it. 
and it happened to me. So, so good luck there. But when I got diagnosed with a tumor in my chest, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, it was serious. Uh, it was the size of an apple, and it was wrapped around my aorta, and it was pushing down on my lungs. And the doctors at UCSF were very concerned. I was very much in despair. Kids were uh, 6, 8, and 10. I was, it was awful, the anxiety. And so I heard a sermon on the radio driving in San Francisco, Charles Stanley. He was talking about facing your Goliath. And he said, when you face Goliath, you have to have the kind of faith that says, it's a done deal. God has already arranged for you, Goliath, to fall over and die. So you're going over. I don't care how big and tall you are. It's a done deal. So he kept using that phrase, and that phrase stuck in my heart. I went home, and I said, I want to have that kind of faith. But what if it's my time to go? Pastors die, too. So I don't know. So I called my mentor, Steve Savage, and I said, Pastor Steve... I want to have this faith. I heard this sermon. It stuck in my heart. I feel like the Lord was talking to me, but I'm not sure. And he said, why don't we ask the Lord if it's a done deal, and the Lord will tell you. And then I was like, well, maybe I don't really want to know, but uh, (laughs) let's pray. So on the phone, I prayed in these words, Lord, if it's a done deal, let me know. And I'll have the faith to believe you right through this whole thing. The next day, Barbara and I go to UCSF for a big powwow with a specialist. We get into the elevator, and there's a woman already standing in the elevator facing the control panel, in front of the control panel. Barbara and I go into the elevator and stand behind her, I say, because she's blocking the way to hit five, I say to the back of her head, can you hit five for me? And she hits five and turns around, beaming, and says, it's a done deal. (laughs) Now, she doesn't turn around. She has her hands up like this. Her face looks like I just won the lottery. She's just beaming with joy, and she's staring at me. So the doors close, And she's still staring at me with her hands up. And so the first thought was, she's crazy. (laughs) My mind is just racing, like just, just. And then I think my second thought is, what was so funny because of the the joy? Because what I'm I'm thinking, can you hit five? Is that funny in any way? (laughs) That was my second thought was, you know, is this a joke? You know, is she crazy? Did I say something funny? Why would you be laughing? And then, in front of God, our eyes are still meeting. She will not turn around. She's still staring at me. And I'm hearing in my head, Lord, if it's a done deal, and her eyes go like this. (laughs) And I just was, I was incoherent. I was, I grabbed both of her little wings, and I said to her, (laughs) 
I said, I just got yesterday. And I'm trying to tell her the whole thing, and she's just nodding yes. Here's a strange guy, not that I'm strange, but here's a strange guy holding onto her hands, and she's smiling and just nodding, not saying a word. And then she turns around, the doors are open, Barb's tugging on me and saying, Honey, time to go. Uh, so we go out of the elevator. And I say, honey, I could explain to you, I just prayed with Steve Savage if it's a done deal. And she just says, it's a done deal. Like, blah, blah, blah. We go into the doctor's office. He's got my CAT scan up. He's shaking his head. He's measuring the tumor. He's going, oh, wow, this is pretty serious. All I can hear in my head, it's a done deal. You asked me. You asked me. I, I let you know. Look, folks, I've told this story a thousand times. Every time I tell it, there is no explanation for a woman to turn around on her heels spinning like you just won the lottery with your hands up in the air and say it's a done deal when you say can you hit five (laughs) folks honestly what do you say you don't a you don't say anything b you go "Uh uh-huh c you go okay sure you don't spin around and gaze into his eyes with beaming face saying it's a done deal. There's just no explanation for that. Especially since I survived. Since the word came true. You know, listen. The Bible says that he sends angels to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews chapter 2. That's just a scripture. It's biblical that we have encountered angels we don't even know. They take on human form. Now, the Lord had so much fun with humans who would just say that to me all through the journey. You know, he just put that phrase in their mouths because I had a biopsy and it came back benign in the beginning. Then we moved from San Francisco to Petaluma. Four years later, after I already heard it was benign, and the Dundeal story happened. I got a nodule. It had morphed into full-on cancer and was twice as big, as big as my hand. And the Lord said, I told you four years ago, it's a Dundeal. Every doctor, every nurse, man, everywhere we went, that phrase was in their mouth. It's a Dundeal. They would use it all the time. And I'm like, did my wife tell you to say that phrase? <laughs> I'll never forget one, one surgeon who said, okay, we've really got to stop this thing. And as soon as we do, it'll be a done deal. And he walked out of the office. And I turned to her and I said, oh, nice try. You know, did you call him up and say, look, my husband's really depressed, but he's got this favorite phrase you need to say, you know. She goes, you're crazy. I didn't do that. No. So we always would hear this. One time I'm driving in the city with the kids, and they all know the story. And a van pulls out in front of me, nearly cuts me off, and it's a janitorial service. The title of his company is Done Deal Incorporated. And I'm driving right behind him, and the kids are like, look, Dad, done deal incorporated. You know, there was no getting away from that phrase over and over again. Why? He said, look, you're going to fail chemotherapy. You're going to fail radiation. I had 4,000 rads to the chest and failed. I had a bone marrow transplant 64 days in the hospital at UCSF. I had to know before all of that, I'm going to come out alive. I will not be dying of lymphoma. 
God said in the beginning, you asked me, is it a done deal? And I gave you evidence. It's a done deal. You're not going to die of this. And boy, I'll tell you what, going through all of that failure to go into remission, I had a word. And Barb had a word. And the kids had a word. Nobody who knew me thought I was going to die, even though the doctor said, we don't stop this now. You're dead in 12 months. And all that I could think of was, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. So I told my brother that, and he goes, you know, after I failed remission, he said, but what does done deal really mean? (laughs) It's a done deal. (laughs) I said, look, you can interpret it anyway. I know what God told me. And so he told Joshua that, uh, look, kid, you're going in the battle. Look at me. I'm just going to cut this thing to the chase. The whole point of the New Testament is it's a done deal for you in Christ. Nothing in all of creation can separate you. Past, present, future, things height or depth, angels, demons, nakedness, peril, danger, sword, nothing, your mistakes. If you have Christ in your heart, you're falling away. You're walking away. Can't even stop it. It will take all your reward. But what God has put in you cannot be thwarted because it's a done deal. I'm going to save the big ticket item. The sun will stop in the sky. And you know what? If you have a God who can't do that, I feel sorry for you because you have the wrong God. What good is it to say that you know God, but he can't stop the sun, which he supposedly spoke into existence in the first place, that he can't manage to stop it for a time, even though he created it. So we have no problems with God who created the sun to tell it, hey, hold on here, even though we know that he did something with the earth because the earth is the one going around. I want to talk to you about that miracle next Wednesday night. But until then, take this to heart. God has told you a word tonight. Believe him. You're going through. End of sentence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promise that it's not our strength. It's your mercy. It's the seed of God been planted in our lives. It cannot be stopped. It is growing and growing and growing. And one day it will reach its God-appointed destiny in the fullness and perfection of a spiritual glorified body. Us made perfect, serving you forever and ever in holiness and righteousness and the beauty of a heavenly form the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So thank you, God, for the done deal. We praise you. May it bring us the confidence it was meant to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 